Right, if you've got your Bibles there, why don't you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can jump onto the Version app if you've got that. We've been covering over the last, as you're doing that, it's near the end part of the Bible. As we've been doing that, um, over the last sort of number of weeks, we've been talking about this theme called life hacks. And a life hack I didn't know is any advice, shortcut, tip or skill that helps you get things done more efficiently and effectively. Brilliant. And I thought this was marvellous because my wife talked about decluttering and the practice of fasting. And, and I thought that was brilliant. And I'm so looking forward now to um, the, the garage sale here. Do we get to choose the things that go from our house? You nodded. Fat, oh, you do. Okay. <laughs> I thought this was so funny that they, they gave. She thought it was funny that she was allocated this particular topic because I know behind those wardrobes are entire cities. <laughs> You just can't see them. So I'm so looking forward to this garage thing. That's going to be great. Uh, Detox, we talked about self-control, redefine the Bible, reboot reflection, reposition worship. Cindy spoke about that last week. And today I want to talk about cultivate spirit. If you hear nothing from me for the rest of the morning, I want you to hear three things I want to say. The spirit gives life. The spirit softens hearts. And the spirit enables people to flourish. If you've got your Bibles here, I'm just going to read the section that all this has been taken from. Colossians chapter 3. Bear with me. Have a listen. He's writing this to someone who's a follower of Jesus. And this is what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Jesus Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, you see, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Jesus, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him, just like he is in, in his glorified state. Put, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God, the anger of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all things such as these anger and rage and malicious slander talk, filthy language from your lips. Don't, don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the creator. Uh, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Jesus is all and is in all. Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as Jesus forgave you. And over all these things, virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Jesus rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the words of Jesus Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. God, I just ask today in this space, you might teach us, that you might open our hearts, wherever we are, whether you're, where there's folk here that are far from you today and they're checking you out, or God, whether there's people who have been following you for ages and are just a bit dry, would you meet with us today, I pray, and I ask in Jesus' name, amen. If I could reframe the question for this morning about life hacks, it would probably go something like this. If someone asked me, what does it look like, Troy, to live a flourishing life, I'd probably give them this answer. A flourishing looks like living under God, with God, in God, finding your life in God. 
If you were to push me a little bit further and to personalize it, I would say, actually, it's following Jesus, trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus, finding life in Jesus. If you were to push me a little bit further, I'd say, actually, it's about cultivating God's presence in our lives by his spirit. You see, the spirit in the Bible is represented in sometimes as a dove. But it's not always spoken as a dove, but I would say to some people, if you want to live a flourishing life, actually engage with God, follow Jesus, and cultivate the Spirit's life activity in your life. So this morning, the Spirit gives life, the Spirit softens hearts, and the Spirit enables people to flourish. The first time we bump into the Spirit is at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. It says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I love this picture, this idea of a watery chaos of darkness and the spirit of God is just kind of brooding over this dark formless chaos and you anticipate that the spirit's about to do some building and constructing, bringing beauty and order and creativity to this formless void. In fact, the word there for spirit is ruach. Ruach. In, in the Hebrew Bible, this word can be used in a number of different ways. Firstly, it's, it's the same word for wind. And so just as wind generates power and has energy, so does the spirit. It's the same word for breath. If you take a deep breath in and exhale, it's your breath that gives you life and vitality. Draw these two ideas together and you have this idea of that the Spirit is the one who brings power and gives life. The Spirit gives life. In Genesis chapter 2, the complementary narrative to this creation account, you have God gathering and forming human beings out of dust and he breathes his life into the nostrils and they become alive and they are enlivened by the Spirit. When I was in Scotland, I joined a local church, Baptist church there, and I embedded myself in a home group, a life group that gathers throughout the week to eat together, pray together, sing together, serve together, build life together. And we ran an Alpha course, which is a basic Christianity Explained. That was what you had with Charlie Mackelsey there advocating the Alpha course, of which they talk about in one of the series there about the Spirit of God. Some ladies there, some Scottish folk who had never connected with church before and so over the months that I was there got to know them a little bit better and they were part of our group. We formed life connecting relationships and, and they would say these words, you know, when I go into the church gathering and they are doing this music thing, I find myself crying and I don't know why. And it wasn't because the music's bad. <laughs> But it was because there was something happening in them. And Carney would say to me, she would say, I don't always understand they're not sad tears, but they're tears nonetheless. And I don't quite understand them. And I would say to her, well, actually, I believe that that's an activity of God's spirit, his presence. When people draw close to him, sometimes there's these kind of responses that we don't. So they're good tears. It's like they're homecoming tears. This is the spirit. Cindy last week talked about worship. That worship is this idea of giving worth to God and that human beings, we worship things. If you don't worship the living God, you worship something. The second thing we discover about worship, though, it's true, is that we are, re- we are shaped by what we worship. If you want to worship money and the sole purpose in your life is accumulating wealth, 
then sooner or later you will begin to see everyone in terms of a monetary value. Every activity you do, everything that, every engagement you have, it'll be all through the frame of value of money, what's worth. If you uh, worship sex, uh, and for you, it, that's the next thing, the thing that you actually center your whole life around, you will soon begin to sexualize people. Every person you meet will be ranked and ordered according to their, if you like, their prowess. If you worship fame and you actually just want to be famous, that's your sole chief end in life, you will begin after a period of time of starting to perceive everyone in terms of status. How valuable and worthwhile are they? You see, whilst you're worshipping that thing, what tends to happen is that sooner or later, that thing starts to get you, and now you're no longer the one driving it, but it drives you. We'll leave that to the side. You see, that's the way in which we're shaped. But when the Spirit comes into people's life, it renews and reshapes, it gives life. And so in the second chapter of Genesis, we have this sense of God breathes life into human beings. And in the center of this garden space, he says this, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are surely to die. This seems like some unfair, unkind, arbitrary test, but it's actually not. The writers of the Genesis account were saying something profoundly insightful about our human psyche and our condition that's rolled and reverberated through the generations. You see, what happens, we discover in the very next, if you like, encounter in Genesis 3, there's this sort of subhuman, serpent-like creature that comes and actually says to Adam and Eve, those first early hominids, and says, you surely will not die. What did God tell you to do? Well, we can eat of every other fruit of the, every other tree in this garden, but if we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll die. And, and, and this serpent-like creature's subhuman form says, you, you will not die because the truth is about God is he is holding out on you and you can be just like him determining what's good and evil, right and wrong and wise for flourishing in life if you just reach out and eat it yourself. And so that's exactly what happens. They do. They reach out and instantaneously it says they sense this shame and nakedness and they hide and God comes looking and asking, where are you? And they say, we're hidden. What happened? We ate of the fruit. And we discover three things very quickly in this story. Number one, the serpent was right. They did not die. The second thing we discover is that human beings have this capacity to want to determine what's right and wrong, good and evil, wise and good, flourishing for life themselves. You understand this, don't you? You say to a child, don't cross this line. What does the child do? Seen this. They walk right up to the line, some of them, and then, and then they look back at you. What are you going to do? Well, you draw another line, you see. <laughs> or you say to them, don't touch this object. Right? What do they do? They walk right up. Some of them will get so close and then they'll look at you. What are you going to do? And some will just grab it. You know this. You're a student. Your teacher says to you, I'd like you to do this homework. And the inner thought in your head is, why should I do that homework? Well, because we want you to pass. We want you to learn. None of that matters. You're in your workspace and and your boss says, I'd like it done this way. And there's a little thought in your head that says, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way, Right? Your boss, your pastor comes to the church and he says, I want you to go in that direction. And people say, why? (laughs) 
Isn't there something within every single one of us that actually says, I want to determine right and wrong, good and evil. I will be in control of my own destiny and life. I don't trust you. The third thing we discover is that God is exceedingly kind and loving because they don't die. The serpent even knew. God is defined as being kind and loving and gracious. And so rather than killing them, he clothes them. Because he says this, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. That is, determining what's good and evil, right and wrong, what makes for a wise, flourishing life themselves. What if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. In other words, when human beings have reached out and tried to do things in their own capacity, what's rolled throughout the generations is the knowledge and the truth that we do it really badly. The very next chapter in the book of Genesis, brother kills brother. The the next few chapters, the the depravity and the chaos and the disorder of life gets so bad that God says, we've got to start again. They want to build a tower so they can just be God and reach up to his realms to where they don't belong. And that story and that narrative and that truth has just reverberated throughout the generations. And all you need to do is open up the newspaper, check out the news online. Human beings are really bad, are we not, of determining what's right and wrong, good and evil, how we best flourish in life for ourselves. You hearing me? And so it's reverberated throughout the generations. And God says, imagine if they were immortal then I couldn't fix that project at all. They would be just like God, immortal, and choosing what's right and wrong for themselves, and they do it so badly all the time. So he says this. He says, human beings have this capacity. He says, lest they reach out, shalak. Lest they reach out, Shalak, I will have to send them out of my presence. Shalak, same word, reach out, send out. Because if they were to become immortal and still be like that, could you imagine a world that couldn't be fixed? But human beings have a capacity to shalak. What are you reaching out for in your own life right now, believing that there's good and there's life-giving and it's flourishing, only to find that it didn't give you what promised. What are you reaching out for right now? That shalak that you go, I know what's good and right for me and I don't need anyone else to tell me. Certainly not God. Danger, danger. Warning, warning. Human beings have a propensity to not do really well when left to determine right and wrong, good and evil for themselves. There's a time in my own life where I used to think God was kind of this meanie. Oh, I believed in him, but if you use the car analogy, he was kind of like sitting in the back seat. I had my hands on the driver's wheel, and God was in the back. And really what that whole wrestle about was, God, can you be trusted to determine what's good and right for my life more than me. Is God trustworthy? What I discovered was that there was a God who was far more gracious than I could imagine. That even when I messed, he would clothe. 
But there still was a wrestle of who is driving the wheel. Do you want to lead a flourishing life? The Spirit gives life. Cultivate the Spirit. You see, also the Spirit softens the heart. Fast forward generations. God says, I want to fix this project. I'm going to do it through a new person, Abraham. Through him, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell amongst them and they will so flourish that the rest of the world will see what I'm like through them and they'll be attracted. They want to know me, the living God who wants humans to flourish in the way in which I've designed. But the only problem is that they discovered generation after generation as he led them out of Egypt and put them in a new garden of Eden, the land of Canaan, is that they had the same stuff in them that the original ones had. They continued to shalach, to reach out and determine what was right and wrong, good and evil themselves. And he says they chased other, other, other gods. They, they pursued other things that weren't making for order, but rather chaos. And man and woman against one another, doing all kinds of things in the end that God said, I have just got to shalach, send you out. And so in the land of Babylon, far, far away, one of the prophets by the name of Ezekiel, he gets the words from God. He says this. It's a promise from God to the people. This is what I'm going to do to fix your hearts. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In other words, what God was saying through his prophet Ezekiel was that human beings can't fix themselves. What they need to do has a transformational act happening in their life and only my spirit can do that. You see, it's my spirit that gives life and it's my spirit that will soften hearts. Whilst human beings are trying to reach out and determine what's right and wrong, good and evil for themselves, I need to step in. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. The Spirit of God isn't reached out for. The Spirit of God is received. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit softens hearts. I love this, this idea of washing with water and sprinkling clean. You, you get this. Someone important turns up to your house and you haven't cleaned that thing for months and years. And What's the first thing you want to do? You just do a little spring clean, right? Or you close the doors to every other room of the house <laughs> and you just say, I want you in this one. Yeah? Why? Because you kind of want to clean it up for the people to arrive because there's something good about them that you want to experience and so their presence can dwell. You understand this? A young man is smitten by a young woman and he's head over heels in love. And for the first time in his life, he reaches for a comb <laughs> and he combs his hair. Just once. Because <laughs> he wants to get himself in order before the real goods come. You see, this is the same thing. God wants to wash people clean so his presence can dwell. That's what he does. That's what he's like. 
If you're here this morning and life is caught up with you and there's things that have happened to you that have made you feel ashamed or dirty, I want you to know when God's Spirit comes into your life, He washes stains and blemishes clean. That wasn't your fault. But if you turn to God, He can wash and clean. Because that's what His Spirit does. It cleanses so the presence of God can dwell. Some people, when they encounter the Spirit, it can be like a sense of joy. Some people, it can be like a sense of peace. Some people, it can be like a a sense of order in their lives. Nonetheless, it's God's Spirit that's at work and active because the Spirit softens the heart. Finally, the Spirit enables people to flourish. The Spirit enables people to flourish. Many years ago, before I started the the church community here with a small group of you and Bron and I and the kids, what we did was we we set our hearts to wanting to create a space where people who had had no church background whatsoever could come and connect in, encounter the living God, also have words that are accessible to them so they can understand kind of what this religious thing is all about. But it was never at the cost of wanting to talk about the power and the activity of God. Many of you would be unaware that in the months before I began here, I woke up in the middle of the night muttering and prattling away to Bron in some sort of gibberish thing. And I said, what's this? And Bron said, I know, what's that? And so I caught up with a local minister who was probably a bit more connected with things of the spirit. And I said, I'm not quite sure what's been happening to me, but it's like I've had this language up in my head and it's just kind of inadvertently has come out in the middle of my sleep and I don't know what to make of it. And he says, I think that's kind of like a spirit language. It'll help you flourish in your life. I said, how do I know if it's not just me making it up? He said, well... I don't think you'd be able to sustain it if it wasn't. And over the years, as I've prayed, I've learned to pray in a spirit way and learned to pray in other intelligible words. Because the spirit helps people flourish. Sometimes the spirit gives people gifts. Sometimes the spirit just transforms people's hearts. But nonetheless, it's the same spirit doing the work and activity because the spirit gives life, the spirit softens heart, and the spirit enables people to flourish. So let me ask you here this morning, are you flourishing in life? I know that's a hard question. The answer is cultivate the spirit. And so this is where we get to in the, 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 the reading that we've had and the things that we've covered over the past weeks. And so some of you might be saying, well, how do I cultivate the spirit? Three easy ways, three ways in which the writer here steps out for someone who's a Jesus follower. And this will make sense even for someone who's actually just checking out God. And so he, he runs through very quickly. He says, firstly, well, when you get to know Jesus and you're welcoming into your life, he, he actually gives you a new identity. It's like he welcomes you into his family. It's like he sits you in his heavenly realm like it's being part of his community already. And what he's recreating in you is going to be recreating in the world one day. He wants to work through you. Before I return from Scotland, one of the other gentlemen in our our life group, our home group, by the name of Mike, been checking out God for a while. And, And the last conversation I had with him was over his dinner table. And I said to him, where do you stand with God? I don't think we've had this conversation before. And he said, well, I'm not sure. I said, why not? He goes, well, I'm just not quite sure. I've still got some things to work out. I said, okay, it's the difference between uh, dating and getting hitched. 
Dating, you're checking things out. Getting hitched, you've crossed the line. Do you understand the difference? He went, yeah. I said, so do you believe Jesus came to earth? Do you believe he rose from the dead? Do you believe he forgives people and washes them clean? Do you believe he's seated with God? Do you believe that you can have life in his name? Do you actually desire to follow him and have you welcomed him into your life? And he said, yeah, I have. I said, well, you got hitched. You're not dating. What you're working out now is what does the rest of my life look like? And so you've been given a new identity. The first thing Paul says here is, how do you want to cultivate this spirit? Set your sights. Set your sights on the things above. You know, in our daily life, we can look so down all the time. We can look all around us and be so distracted by everything else that all we have before us is what's before us. First T of the old course. Made it to actually tee off on the old course, the oldest golf course in the world. And all I thought about for a whole week was the first tee. Because it's all about looking down and and hitting that ball and keeping your head down. That's the only thing I could think about the whole week. I got there and I was so darn nervous. It's the widest fairway in the world, but I just wanted to make contact with the ball. And I did. And for the rest of the time, I just looked down. And there were times throughout the, the course where my friend Jacob would say, Hey, look up. We're on the old course in St. Andrews. I know I'm so so fussed about the shot I made and the, and the terrible shot I just made before and the sand trap that's ahead of me and the little burn in the water that's around. I'm so confused and so caught up. And he said, just look up. Sometimes when you're following Jesus, you just need to wake up in the morning and look up and say, God, good morning. Here I am reporting for duty. Second thing is that if you want to cultivate the spirit in your life, you need to learn to say no to things. Who would have ever thought that discovering life might be at the end of saying no to things? You see, what you do with your body and what you say with your mouth and what you think with your mind matters to God. Our world says there's a kind of love that's described as permissive love. It's okay, it doesn't matter if you do it, God will forgive you. That's not the kind of love that God talks about. God talks about a higher love. God's love is redemptive. It doesn't keep you where you are. It wants to move you to where he wants you to be. And so that comes with trusting him that he actually has the good, right stuff for you in your life, even if you don't understand it. So sometimes you need to walk away, put it down, turn it off, stop and do an about face. Because sometimes the things that you're holding on to, you think they're giving you life, but God wants you to trust him even if you don't understand. Because he is good and can be trustworthy and trusted and That's what he's like. Finally, set your sights. Learn to say no. And sometimes you just need to kill things because they don't die easy. You need to learn to say yes. If the band can come up, that'd be great. You see, saying yes in my life for the last 10 months has looked like this, cultivating the spirit. I was plonked in the middle of an intense study regime, and I kind of went over to reflect in Scotland, and I realized in the first month, I'm not doing much reflection here. I'm doing intensive thinking and study. I mean, we thought about thinking and thinking. And and so in that space, I realized I need to cultivate God in my life and the spirit. So I'd wake up in the morning, set my sight, lift my head, say, good morning, God, thank you for who you are. Would you open up my heart and mind this morning? Because I need it. 
And then I lived on the plane between two worship songs being repeated in my headphones. I started off with a more relaxing one. Who can compare to you, my king? Right, that, that's the relaxing one. And then my brother sent me a Planet Shakers one. Right? I lift your name up. You know, boom, boom. So that was my workout stuff. And this one was me sitting under the tree stuff. And I lived between those two spaces for 10 months. Why? Because when human beings direct their heart towards God and they worship Him, He returns the favor that He doesn't have to, but He does. And He does a work in their life and energizes them. I embedded myself in a church community, I embedded myself in a small cluster. That's how I cultivated the spirit, and you can do it too. In a moment, we're going to finish with a song and just invite some space here for maybe a God spirit to engage with you. His Ruach. There's three things, three kinds of different responses that I'm thinking of this morning. You might fall into one of these categories. First category is this. You've been checking out God for a long time. Let's go with the driving illustration. He's been tapping on your window and you have got your hands fixed on the steering wheel. You don't know if you want to let him in because you don't know if he can be trusted. Put it another way. You think you are better at making the rules in your life than him. Hmm? He's trustworthy. Jesus died for you. You send his spirit into your life. If you open the door, welcome him in. Give him the keys. Sit in the passenger seat. Yep. Second, maybe you're here this morning. You believe in God, but somehow you've got your hands behind the steering wheel again and he's in the back seat. Some of you have put him in the boot. You've locked the boot. And you've been doing some of that shalach yourself because you think I can determine what's good and right for me and you know it's not good and right. You know that. But you've put him in the boot. And so this is what happens usually in this situation. He'll come whispering by the Spirit. And if you... Then he'll usually send someone or some people and say, come on. And if you... Then it usually goes belly up. And then he'll come back again and say, now do you want to do this the easy way or the hard way? Maybe this morning, in the moment of worship and the spirit, you need to actually just relinquish that and say, I'm sorry, I I turn around, I repent. Would you wash me clean? Because I want your spirit presence to dwell. Maybe you're here this morning and just dry and you would like to actually have more of God's activity in your life. And so in the moment when we stand, you might want to worship, but just open up your hands and open up your heart and just say, God, I would really like to have an authentic encounter with you and refresh me by your spirit. Yeah. So as we sing, I invite you to do that, wherever you are. We're going to facilitate with some prayers. So if the prayers could just come up right now, jump up out of your seat, move. Someone over here, someone over here, someone at the top, they've got a lanyard. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can have is someone pray for you. And you're sitting there going, I don't want no one to pray for me. Well, prayer releases stuff. So you might want to just hop out of your chair, walk up. You don't have to give them a big long list of things. Just say, pray for me. And all they're going to do is pray, God, would you reveal yourself? Would you pour out your spirit, your life? 
in and through this person, then you can just return back to your seat. That's all. Is that all right? Is that all right? Good. Good. It's good to be back. To where God wants us to be, to where God wants us to go, we've got to move from where we are. It means we've got to grow. Okay. So when we stand together, if you'd like to engage, feel free.